Let's do it. First Peter chapter four. So when my son was younger, when my son was younger and he would sleep in a crib, uh, he sleeps in a toddler bed now since he's three, uh, he used to sleep with a pretty large number of stuffed animals. And some of you may have heard this story before, but he would have about seven or eight different stuffed animals uh, that he would sleep with in his crib, all different shapes and sizes, and he loved them all very much. He loved them all very much. And, and he would actually use them as pillows and leg rests. You know, he would hug some. He'd be spooning, you know, Mickey. Uh, others, he would, like, rest on top of his face as he was sleeping. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, but it was a legit slumber party every night in my son's crib with all these stuffed animals. And, and he would, when he would wake up in the morning, as we would make our way over to his crib, uh, which was a signal to him that we were going to be, you know, picking him up out of his crib, he would rush to grab all seven or eight of his stuffed animals. He'd just be like, it'd be a mad dash to grab all of them. And he would make sure to grab them all, all of them. Uh, he was not ready to be picked up until he picked up all of his friends. He had all of his friends in his arms. And sometimes it would take him a good minute because, you know, he'd pick up seven of them. There's one left. He, he crouches down to pick it up, and then one would fall out of his arms. And so then when he goes to crouch down and pick up that one, another one would fall out of his arms. And on and on, over and over again. But he was committed because he valued his stuffed animal friends. And he was committed to collecting all of them because his stuffed animal friends were important to him. And once he finally had all of his friends firmly grasped, we lifted him out. Prior to all of this commotion in the mornings when he, when he woke up, but before we walked into the room to go get him, he would just be lying in his bed. He'd be talking to himself, singing songs, just staring off into space. Um, but as soon as he saw us open the door, he knew he was getting lifted out. My son, when he saw my wife and I going to get him, he realized that the end of his crib time was near. So he shifted his focus onto what was most important to him, which were his stuffed animals. And he would cling to them so tightly as he waited to be lifted out. Now tonight, we're going to look at a portion of 1 Peter where he writes, the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. And then Peter goes on to describe what is most important to focus on in light of his statement that the end of all things is near. My son, when the end was near for his crib time, his focus was on his stuffed animals. You know, got to make sure I get all these animals in my arms. I don't want to get lifted out without my friends. So what should be our focus according to 1 Peter? What should be our focus according to Peter and according to the Holy Spirit? What are our stuffed animals as Christians that we need to be clinging to and focusing on as we await getting lifted out? So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight as we go over 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 7 through 11. First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And the title of tonight's message is Stuffed Animals. Stuffed Animals. And the two points that we're going to be going over tonight, uh, the first point, something is brewing in the belly. Something is brewing in the belly. And the second point is, I don't care if you're at core. I don't care if you're at core. So let's look at our first point, something is brewing in the belly. And let's look at First Peter chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 7. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And we'll pause there. So here we have Peter writing, the end of all things is near. And because the end of all things is near, therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. So let's look at what these things mean. So to be of sound judgment means to be of sound mind. 
to be in your right mind, to think of yourself soberly, to be self-controlled in your judgment and your thinking. And this is something that I think a lot of younger people, uh, they struggle with, but they aren't aware that this is what they're struggling with, which is why they continue to struggle with it. But hear me on this, hear me out on this. One of the greatest problems facing young people and young adults today is the desire for instant gratification and recognition. And this desire for instant gratification and recognition is affecting your ability to be of sound judgment and of sound mind. To be in your right mind, to think of yourself soberly, to be self-controlled in your judgment and thinking. It's already been pretty well established that social media is a huge factor in this desire for instant gratification and recognition. You post something and you immediately start getting likes and retweets or whatever, and it feels good. It feels good. You get the instant gratification of recognition. And it feels horrible when you don't get the likes and you don't get the retweets. So you start to confuse recognition with actual results. You start to think that because people are recognizing what you're doing or posting, that you're making it, that you're succeeding, that you're, you're doing something. And because the recognition and gratification is instant, you aren't even thinking about the development of your mind, your character, and your behavior. Developing yourself as a person, and more importantly, as a mature believer in Christ. You just gotta get to that next dopamine hit from the instant gratification. And now, because of this, we've got a bunch of young people walking around with their heads in the clouds, looking for something amazing to happen, something crazy to happen, for the Lord to do a new and fresh work through them, to change the world. But they can't even get to work on time. They're not good employees to their earthly masters. Some of them aren't even working. They're not being exemplary sons and daughters to their parents. God has given them and you something to do right now. But you may be treating it as if it's a measly stepping stone to the next big real thing that you're supposed to be doing. There are things right in front of you. There are things right in front of you that God has given you to do right now. But you're not even doing that well because that's not, quote, what you're called to do. God, I'm called to be a great preacher or a singer or, or a famous Christian influencer. How are you going to have me cleaning a toilet? That's not my calling. It was Jesus who said in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, he said, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If you're lazy, undisciplined, and flaky with, with what little God has given you to do right now, then you will be lazy, undisciplined, and flaky if God were to give you more. But he probably won't. But if you're hardworking, if you're disciplined, and you're serious with the little, then you will be the same when or if God gives you more to do. Don't look at these people on social media with the nice hair, the nice clothes, the nice platforms, the nice content, 
and get geeked on the hype and try to pursue it. None of the apostles or the disciples pursued recognition or fame. They pursued Christ. They pursued Christ. So for those of you to whom this applies, get your head out of the clouds. Get your head out of the clouds and get serious about your walk with Christ. Fame, recognition, instant gratification, these things are not the goals of life. Salvation, sanctification, glorification of Jesus Christ, these are the goals of life. Have, have sound judgment and be of sober mind. Be of sound mind. Romans 12.3 would say not to think of yourself more highly than you ought. Have a good self-awareness in Christ. Have a good self-awareness in Christ. Recognize where you are as a believer and seek to grow more and more every day. Be faithful in the little so that God can trust you to give you more. But don't assume that the more will come with perks. It came with martyrdom for Peter and Paul and Stephen and many other disciples. It came with suffering for the early believers. Being entrusted with more came with a cross for Jesus. There's no perks in that. So Peter says to be of sound judgment, and he also says to be sober. Now, we went over this word a few months ago. I can't believe it's already been months. When we were in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, to be sober, aside from the practical meaning of you know, not being drunk, it also means to be calm, to be self-controlled, to be clear-headed, to be cautious, to be self-restraining. Don't be emotional. Have control over your emotions and behavior and thoughts. Be cautious and self-restraining and clear-headed. But why? Well, Peter says, for the purpose of prayer. For the purpose of prayer. We often learn and remember our greatest lessons and our worst moments. Uh, as a junior high kid, I learned that if you're at Disneyland, waiting hours to get on a ride, don't wait until you're strapped in and the ride's about ready to take off before you decide that you need to go to the bathroom. Just don't do it, that's something that I learned. This was back when Tomorrowland, I don't know if many of you remember this, but when Tomorrowland was like, it got like renovated, like it was, they had brand new rides, wait times were like four hours for these rides. So me and my cousins were all in line, I'm in junior high at this point, just so you just keep that in context. Uh, we're in line, and the whole time I had that feeling. I had that feeling like, you know, something is brewing in the belly, like there's, there's something happening. And you know what I'm talking about. If you, if you know, you know. But I tried to ignore it. I tried to ignore it, thinking it would just go away. But it didn't. It just kept getting worse and worse until finally we're all strapped in. Everyone got checked. You know, they're about to give the signal to start the ride. And then I realized, oh, no, this ain't going to end well. And so I'm just like, no, wait, wait. I'm strapped in. I can't. I'm like, wait, wait, please stop, stop, stop. Trying to get their attention. Like, I have to go to the bathroom. And, you know, so they, they stopped the whole process to let me off. And, man, I just, I just, I raced so fast to the nearest bathroom. I learned my lesson. Don't wait. Just go. Just go. Also, don't eat a bunch of hot Cheetos the night before you go to Disneyland. You know, it's just, I think, I think those Cheetos, they had, like, nacho cheese on them, too. So it was just a recipe for disaster. Um, but I'm sure, I'm sure Peter learned his lesson about being clear-headed and self-controlled for prayer the night that Jesus was betrayed. He went with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he kept falling asleep, even though Jesus told him, stand up, wake up, pray, just pray. 
but he kept falling asleep. Later that night, Peter would deny knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. I wonder if prayer would have changed that. I wonder if Peter thought that prayer would have changed that. I don't know. But we need to be of sound mind. We need to have a humble self-awareness. We need to be self-controlled. We need to be cautious so that we can commit ourselves to prayer. So we can commit ourselves to prayer. Prayer is such an overlooked privilege that we have. And I'll be the first to say that it's true in my life as well. Prayer is such an overlooked privilege that we have. In Philippians 4.6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In Psalm 65, verses 1 and 2, it says, There will be silence before you and praise in Zion, O God, and to you the vow will be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all men come. In Psalm 62, verse 8, it says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22, it says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And in James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, it says, the effective prayer of a righteous man or woman can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Prayer is an amazing privilege. Prayer is an amazing power so long as you wield it with the purpose of, of accomplishing God's will. We can communicate with the God of all creation. We can get things off of our chest. We can cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. And we can leave his presence feeling the peace that surpasses all understanding. We can submit all of our questions to him and wait for him to answer them as we continue to read his word and continue to fellowship with other believers. This thing that we have in Christianity, it's a true and real relationship with the living God. It's not dead religion. We have a father. He has adopted us into his family. And as our father, he desires to have that closeness with us. So pray, pray. Take the time out of your day to have conversations with your heavenly father. I love having conversations with my son. I love it. I love asking him questions and hearing what kind of answers pop into his little mind. I love when he tells me stories of when he was with his friends at the park and that they did this and that and the other. It's awesome. I just want to hear him speak. That's all I want. I just want to hear him speak. Talk to me. Can you imagine how great that desire is for the one who has given me the ability to feel that way. The one from whom that desire even comes from. He wants to hear from you. So call out to him. Call out to him. And in the context of this letter, Peter says that prayer is extremely important in light of the fact that the end of all things is near. As the end draws near, as the time we spend being temporarily dispersed 
comes to an end, be focused, be clear-minded, be self-restrained for the purpose of prayer. As times get crazier and crazier, our nearness to God must be more and more the focus. And after the message tonight, uh, we're going to split up into groups where the leaders here at Zeal, they're going to lead a group respectively in prayer. We're going to pray for everyone individually. Prayer is so important, and I want to make sure that everyone here gets prayed for individually. Sometimes it's hard to get to everyone on a regular Friday night, but tonight we're going to make sure that we pray for every single person individually. So be of sound judgment and be sober for the purpose of prayer. And this leads us to our second and final point of the night. I don't care if you're at core. I don't care if you're at core. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, as we look at our final point of the night. Starting verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So when we started in verse 7, Peter said that the end of all things is near. So therefore, you need to focus on being sound and sober for prayer. And this is still the context. This is still the context for these verses here in verses uh, 8 through 11. But not only are the verses in 8 through 11 to be the focus because of the end is near, Peter goes a step further, and he says, above all, above all, he says, above all, most important of all, above everything else, above all things, before anything and everything and all things, keep fervent in your love for one another. This love that we have for each other, that we ought to have for each other as believers, it ought to be the most important thing in our lives, especially as the end draws near. In John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, Jesus said to his disciples, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You know, we've, dis we've discussed these things several times over the past months. And if you're wondering why we keep going over the same things, well, first of all, I'm just following the text. That's all that's going on here. So if stuff keeps repeating, I'm just following the text. But secondly, and possibly more importantly, maybe these things, these themes keep coming up because you still haven't put these things to practice. Maybe there's some of you out here who haven't put these things to practice. Maybe you're not being a doer of the word, and you're just being a hearer and a consumer. It's time to be a doer. And Peter writes that love covers a multitude of sins. Does it not? Does it not? Isn't that what has covered all of our sins? God's love for us in sending his son, his one and only son, to die for our sins on the cross it was God's love for us that moved him to cover and remove our sins so that we could have a right relationship with him. And in the context of this portion of the letter, 
It's the love that we are to have for each other that will cover any sins that have been committed against you by your brothers or your sisters. Again, these themes keep coming up, maybe for a reason. But what things are you holding against your brothers or your sisters? What wrongs are you keeping a record of against your brothers or your sisters? In what ways are you choosing to be unforgiving to your brothers or your sisters? You don't get it. They did me dirty. Oh, yeah? Like being, being the reason you were crucified on a cross dirty? I doubt it. I'm not saying that the hurt isn't real. Whatever has happened between you and a brother and you and a sister, I'm not saying that the hurt isn't real. But what I'm trying to point out is that in what condition were you all in when God died for you? We were his enemies, according to Romans. We were enemies of God when he chose to die for us. He did all the work. God did all the work. The only reason that we're able to love him is that he loved us first. So you need to let love cover a multitude of sins and watch God change your heart as you take that step of faith in forgiving your brothers or your sisters completely. Not forgiving them to the point of being indifferent or neutral about your brother or sister, but forgiving to the point of truly agape loving your brother or your sister. And what does this love look like? What is the natural progression of this love? Well, let's reread verses 8 through 11. It says, Above all, Keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. And we'll take a break from there. So our love for each other, our love for each other should transition into service for each other. You know, Peter is talking about the relationships between brothers and sisters, between relationships between the people of the body, between church members. So our love for each other should transition into service for each other. First of all, he says to be hospitable. He says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Hospitable means to be generous to guests, to be fond of guests, the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests. And I got to say, in agreement with, with Mason, that uh, this group here at Zeal Young Adults is definitely one of the most hospitable places in, in L.A. I remember one time hearing a story, and if, the, if this story is, is, if I'm describing you in this story, this is like a true story, I don't mean anything by it. But uh, I was told this story um, of somebody who was visiting Zeal for the first time, and they went out to eat with everybody. And... And as everyone was hanging out, you know, of course, you know, there's a natural grouping of people that begins to occur as conversations start happening. You know, the people just start naturally like, oh, I'm talking to you. Let me get next to you and start talking. And um, this person, as, as, as he or she observed what was happening, um, he or she turns to one of the leaders and says, it seems pretty clicky here. And uh, to which the leader was like, Nah, actually, like, it isn't. Like, I can introduce you to everybody. And then the person's like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. Um, you know, as they got kind of shy at the, at the prospect of being introduced to a bunch of people. 
Um, but I love that story. I love that story. Not because it, it was like a gotcha, you know, like not at all, not at all. I promise you that's not why I love it. What I love about this story is that if that new person would have been introduced to every single person that was there, they would have realized that this place really isn't a clicky place, that nobody is like that. We're not like that here. That everyone really is welcoming to all, and there's no exclusive insiders club here. And that's something that the Lord did. Like, I didn't consciously set out to do that. Like, I knew that's what I wanted, but I never had the conversation with, every, with anyone. I never, I never talked to the leaders at Zeal, like, all right, look, we need to make sure that this place is welcoming. So be welcoming to everybody. <laughs> that never happened. Never had a conversation like that. Or even in the nice way. I know it sounded kind of angry, but never, never, that conversation never happened. We never talked about these things. It just, that's just what the Lord did. It was just the Holy Spirit talking to the leaders on, on their individual time with the Lord and, and the Holy Spirit working through those who came out that, you know, this was to be a place where none of, that, none of that stuff exists, none of that clicky stuff, none of that high school stuff. And if you feel that it does exist, if you're here and you feel like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I think, there's, I think it's still clicky here. I encourage you to search your heart. Maybe you've misjudged. Maybe you've misjudged. Don't assume clicks exist because you notice that certain people uh, seem to always be talking to each other. That just sounds like friends. That just sounds like friendship. I, I don't know, call me crazy, that just sounds like friendship. And don't assume that cliques exist because no one is coming up to you to talk to you. Well, maybe you need to make the effort to go and talk to somebody. We're all adults here. And if you're thinking, well, no, I don't have that, I don't have that kind of personality, that's really hard for me. Well, then maybe you need to apply that same amount of grace to others that you're applying to yourself. Whatever the case, this place, this place is hospitable. And I know that all are welcome, especially when you all go out to eat afterwards. I know everybody, you know, everybody's welcome to that. Unless, of course, you're unvaccinated because now, you, you know, there's certain places y'all can't go. So don't, don't be mad at Zeal for that. That's, be mad at L.A. That's L.A.'s fault. That's not Zeal. Um, I'm just kidding. They still try to find places that we don't have to be vaccinated anyway. And it's nobody's business if you're vaccinated. I'm just saying. Anyway, back to the message. But then Peter starts talking about gifts. And, he, and he, he talks about using them to serve one another. He talks about speaking and serving. Speaking simply means the utterance of words. Pretty much everyone has the gift of speaking. We all have it. But as you use the gift with your brothers and sisters, you should be using it as though you're speaking for God, meaning that you're speaking his word to your brothers and your sisters. I don't know if you guys saw... It was like two posts ago on our Instagram. Um, it's an image of Hector, uh, presumably sharing some scripture with Fernando. I mean, he's pointing at the Bible, so I'm assuming he's, he's sharing scripture with him. Unless it's like, it's a decoy. <laughs> Did you see the new Marvel movie? <laughs> but that's how you use the gift of speaking. That's how you use it within the body, speaking scripture to each other. That's great. And the word serving... It's a word that means to be a servant, to be an attendant, to serve food, to care for the poor and the sick. And my favorite nuanced meaning of, of the word serving, to attend to anything that may serve another's interests or to serve by supplying anything. To attend to anything that may serve another's interests or to serve by supplying anything. 
That means anything that helps or assists anyone is the gift of service. That's anything. According to Peter, it's extremely important that part of our main focus in these last days be our love for each other. And focusing on that love should seamlessly transition into service for one another, which simply means serving another's interests or supplying anything. It's very simple. So I want to continue encouraging you all that if you have not begun serving your local body, which I'm assuming that's core, uh, you need to. You need to start serving. And again, why do these things keep coming up? Well, maybe you need to start doing something about it. Take a leap of faith, step out of your head and step out of your comfort. You know, maybe God will shut me up on these issues when more stuff starts happening. I don't know. I'm just following the text. Anyway, as I said last week, there are opportunities to serve, even here, even here at Zeal. You know, ways that you wouldn't think, cameras, lights, other things. You know, we're hoping to have everything in full swing next year. If you were here last week, I was talking about that. We're hoping to have all this stuff up and running next year. There's, there's opportunities for, for you all to serve. So I just want to keep encouraging you. Start getting involved now. Start getting involved now so that next year we can, you can hit the ground running. Yesterday I was, I was talking to a, to a brother. I won't, I won't uh, call him out by name, but I was talking to him, and, and I was just looking at him like, hey, man, when are you going to start serving? And he's like, uh, I don't know. Whenever you need me? I'm like, well, we could use you right now. And he's like, Okay. I was like, all right, cool. You can start tomorrow. And he's like, all right, what time do you want me here? 6.45. Okay. You know what time he showed up? 6.30. Boom. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's taking the little things seriously. Taking the little things seriously. He didn't know what he was going to be doing. Actually, he knew what he was going to be doing, but I'm not called to that. Nah, none of that. What do you need? This. I'm there. That's serving. That's taking the little things seriously so that eventually God can give you more, all right? But as you begin to serve, as you begin to serve, three things will happen. Three things will happen. The first thing is that the church will get smaller. The church will get smaller. As you place yourself in subjection to the church and its leaders in service, a church of 1,000 will turn into a church of 70 or 80 because you'll be serving alongside those same 70 or 80 people. So then you'll be able to get to know people on a deeper level because the church just got smaller. The second thing that will happen when you start serving is the church will get bigger. The church will get bigger. That doesn't make sense. Church gets smaller, church gets bigger. Let me explain. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, Paul says, We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, I love how it's worded in the New Living Translation. This is how, it's, how it says, how it reads in the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We are the body of Christ, and each person is an individual member of that body. If you are a believer, you are a member of the body. And as a member of the body, you have a responsibility to do what you were gifted for and placed in the body to do. 
Now, I've said this many times over the past few months to many people who have come, you know, with churches still shut down, still closed. A lot of people are finding Core Church just by Googling, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm surprised Google hasn't, like, what's the word? Um, censor? I was thinking of another word. Can't? No. We'll go with censored. Hmm. But anyway, many people have been coming to Core, and they're looking for a home church. And I've been saying this a lot lately, like I said, over the past few months, is I always tell them, I said, look, you need to have a home church. You need to. You have to have a home church. You need to be a part of a body. There is a body of believers out there that is missing you. They are struggling without you right now. So whether it's core or some other church, first of all, make sure that they're biblical and they're teaching the word of God, but also make sure you put yourself into that body immediately whatever church it is. And I mean that. I mean that. I don't care if you're at core or somewhere else. I don't care. As long as they're teaching the word, but you need to make sure that you merge into that body ASAP and serve that body. If you don't, you're not only harming the body and yourself by not serving, but you're also being disobedient to God. Imagine someone walking around on crutches. They got two perfectly good feet but just one of those feet doesn't want to work for some weird reason. The feet are fully functioning, but one of them doesn't want to do its thing. One of them doesn't want to do what it was designed to do. That's the local body when you don't do what you were designed to do, when you don't serve the body. Maybe you're not a worship singer, but like, you know, we have people who serve coffee. You think people have have been given the gift of coffee making? Sure, maybe, you know, with these barista Olympics, it's kind of crazy what some of these people do. But like, do you, like, not many people were born and gifted to be baristas. But we have people here who serve as baristas because they're serving. They're using the spiritual gift of service by making a cup of coffee. Again, when you don't do what you were called to do and designed to do, or even just serving, that's the, lo the local body. When you don't get involved, the local body is disabled without you. It's disabled. We are disabled, but we're disabled for no good reason. We have perfectly good functioning foot. It just needs to wake up and realize that the body needs it. We need you. We need you. We'll manage without you, but it would be so much easier and way more beneficial to everyone involved if you would just let your love for the body transition into service for the body. So as you do your part and serve the body, the entire body will grow, according to Ephesians. The entire body will grow. The church will grow. So the first thing that will happen when you start serving is the church will get smaller. The second thing that will happen is the church will get bigger. The third thing that will happen is God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. Peter writes at the end of verse 11, he says that as we speak the utterances of God, and serve with God's strength and are hospitable to each other, God will be glorified in all of it through Jesus Christ. It's his body. We are the body of Jesus Christ. And as we do all of our things within the body, it's all for his glory. Because the reason that we are serving the body is that we love the body. And our love ought to transition into service for the body. And the reason that we even love the body is that he adopted us and placed us into this body of brothers and sisters. And the reason that he adopted us is that he loved us. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins on the cross. So it starts with him, 
It ends with him. That's why Peter writes that the glory and the power all belong to him forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It all belongs to him. It's all for him. He is the reason that we're alive. He's the reason that we love. He is the reason that we serve. It's all for him. And before we get into our time of prayer tonight, I wanted to give everyone the opportunity, you know, to get right with God. Uh, Now, first, I want to speak to those who know God, who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, and maybe you feel like you're far from God. I just want to remind you that in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation for you. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death, it may say that if you fall short of the glory of God, that you are to be condemned to hell. And that's true. It's true. But Jesus Christ has set you free from that law. That law no longer applies to you. You have diplomatic immunity. There is nothing that you can do that will ever outgrow or outpace the grace of God in your life. In Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, it says that the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, it says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So whatever you've done, however you've fallen short, Christian, just repent of your sins. Repent of your sins and cling to the cross in such a way that would prevent you from falling in that way again. Repent and believe and cling to the cross. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, the Bible declares that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Therefore, all are destined to die and face judgment for the sins committed in life. There's no such thing as good deeds outweighing bad deeds. That doesn't exist. The Bible says that if you've broken one of God's laws, you've broken all of them. Every time you break one, that's, that's compounding debt. Compounding interest, for those of you who know what compounding interest is, it's been said that is the most powerful force known to man, compounding interest, just like interest on interest on interest on interest, and your money just grows like crazy. Well, we have compounding debt, debt upon debt upon debt upon debt, the most powerful force known to man. People don't need to be convinced of this. A lot of people, they don't need to be convinced of this. You already know. You already know that right and wrong exists. We all know that we've all done wrong. So when we die and we stand before God, his justice cannot allow us to go unpunished. We just, it can't go unpunished. As a result, what awaits us is an eternal punishment, suffering under the weight of God's wrath for an infinite duration of time because we've sinned against an eternal, infinitely holy God. But God, not only being just and holy, 
but also being love, grace, and mercy, punish sin, not by punishing you, but by punishing his son. He poured out his wrath for your sins on his son when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, even though Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. He resurrected back to life, proving that death has been defeated and that the sacrifice for sins has been accepted by the Father. He atoned for our sins. So now all who believe in Jesus and what he's done on the cross and what he did by resurrecting, they will be saved from God's judgment in hell. And God commands those who believe in Jesus to also repent of their sins, to turn from their sins. Don't do them anymore and turn and follow God by reading his Bible, by praying, by fellowshipping with other believers. His spirit will live inside of you. Through faith, his spirit will live inside of you, giving you the power to do all of these things, to repent and to follow him. And it's in this that you will be assured that you have come to know God. So if there's anyone here who would like to give their lives to Christ, I'll be inviting you as we pray, but let's pray.